It took another decade to get to the February Revolution because they entered World War I with a Trumpian Kaiser Wilhelm, and the people had had enough, and they removed the Tsar from power, and they created a republic, although it was very weak and inefficient, as most new governments are. While the Duma was weak, the socialists had over the past decade organized Soviets or local grassroots governments similar to the old peasant communes or villages of the feudal era, just self-ruled instead of ruled by a lord. Being essentially abandoned by the Tsar, as all the resources in the nation was going toward the war in a stupid monarchistic family feud, these Soviets essentially set up their own version of the Paris Commune. In the cities, their Soviets were the local trade unions for factories and businesses that used mutual aid, just like the rural Soviets. The Duma could have been successful with power sharing between the socialists and the liberal republicans, except because of the financial pressures from the debts, they decided to continue the war. This was the entire catalyst for their successful revolution in the first place, and the people weren't having it. Lenin and the Bolsheviks took over in the October Revolution, overthrowing the Duma and putting the power into the hands of the Soviets. This led to the Russian Civil War, the largest death toll of any civil war in human history, which estimates between 7 to 12 million people. The Red Army, or Socialist, and the White Army, or the Liberal Republicans, lost 1.5 million each roughly, but there was a lot of other fighting and civilian killing from both sides over fears of traitors and spies from the other side, as well as starvation of the civilians when supply lines were cut off. It was a terrible war. During this period, Ukraine, which was pretty much purely agrarian, organized itself into an anarchistic stronghold with Nestor Makhno as their most notable military leader, who was only leader due to constant consent from the local people. While urban areas with trade unions and factory workers usually were drawn to socialism because it fit their work model better, rural folk tended to be drawn more toward anarchism, with that independent, self-governing mindset with no top-down authority. This mindset of self-sufficiency and self-governing is why American libertarianism appeals to rural folk so much, even though it's set up to allow corporations to use and abuse the environment, snatch up as much land as possible, suppress wages artificially, and use predatory tactics to become essentially the company store in small towns and destitute them as all data has shown is happening. Lenin distrusted anarchs as far as he could throw them because they weren't loyal to the revolution or anyone but themselves, but just like in the Paris Commune, the monarchist nations sent troops into Ukraine and Russia to help support the White Army. Lenin would back Makhno militarily with weapons and equipment until they did too well and then cut off the supply. With their own land on the line, anarchs fought brutally and with so much more resolve as opposed to the monarchist forces who had zero stake in the fight. In the end, once the war was over, Lenin sent troops in to crush the Anarchs, and Makhno ended up fleeing and dying in Paris as a broken man. I highly recommend listening to the Behind the Bastards podcast on him for more details. This was their Christmas episode, which is always actually about a good person. This, after the Paris Commune, was the second of three European attempts at anarchism, and was of course crushed as well, but this time not by the monarchists, but the communists, further dividing the trust between the Red and the Black forces. Once the war ended, Lenin pulled out of World War I like the Duma had promised. The nation was wrecked, it was war-torn, and the little infrastructure they had was mostly destroyed. People were starving in certain areas, but not nearly as bad as it would have been without the Soviets in place. Also, the education of the average Russian was at best a fourth-grade level, and much of the intelligentsia were loyal to the bourgeois class. 
So Russia was essentially in the worst case scenario for a cycle that Marx predicted, but Lenin created Marxist Leninism to try and fit as best with Marx that would fit with the material conditions of the time. At this point in history, while when the manifesto was written, communism and socialism were considered the same thing, socialism became defined as a political movement to either fill in the gaps of capitalism that Marx brought up, such as social democracy, all the way to being the transition period with an end goal of communism. Communism was considered the end goal of what modern economists call the post-scarcity era, when everything was so cheap from automation that everyone could give according to their ability and take according to their need. No nation we called communist ever called themselves communist. That was a western term because of the communist party who were pushing the idea forward to juxtapose them with other socialist parties who just wanted to fill in the gaps of capitalism. What I found so shocking when doing research was that I was told that there was no democracy in the USSR. Oddly enough, there was democracy in the Soviet Union or Union of Soviets and based heavily on the American model of democracy. But what we had before the Republican Party was bought out by war profiteers and corporate restriction laws were lifted that created the Gilded Age. While we view them as a one-party state, they viewed themselves as a no-party state, hearkening to the words of Washington and attempting to replicate the American era of good feelings between Jefferson and John Quincy Adams when America had no political parties, but roughly five factions within one or no party that were constantly at each other's throats. Anyone could run for representative and your Soviet or trade union would send that person to represent you in the Duma. However, there was one caveat that ended up leading to serious abuse of power. Double representation. Following Jefferson's view that education was essential for democracy to work, and most had little to no formal education, Lenin had the Duma not actually write laws themselves, but instead appointed and vote on experts in their field to run the government in the Politburo. This was meant to be temporary until the population was better educated. Sadly, this ended up creating something of an elitist class of people, and a power grab was made possible due to this supposed-to-be-temporarily-weakened level of checks and balances. Lenin's first act was to seize and redistribute the lands of the aristocracy in the Orthodox Church, which made up the majority of Russian lands, and gave them to the people. He had wanted to collectivize them, but needed the support of the people, and to do so needed to legalize what peasants had already been doing during the war. He also temporarily suspended some newspapers he deemed counter-revolutionary, something even other Bolsheviks decried as an assault on freedom of the press. But with all the counter-attacks by the white army and anti-socialist propaganda by outside forces, he had also ended the death penalty, but then with the constant resistance of the white army and the Don Cossacks, who had been the brutal muscle of the Tsar that had suppressed them for centuries as mercenaries, no longer having any income, Lenin felt the only way to stop them, as they would never just live peacefully and accept the new way of doing things without a king, was to reinstate the death penalty, and boy did they, at a rate still unknown, but the best estimates were around 28,000 per year for the five years he ruled. The modern-day right decries Lenin as bloody and a monster because of the number of people he killed per year. What they ignore completely is that this is not done in a vacuum, and the 17 years prior, Tsar Nicholas killed around 52,000 a year in his reign, including pogroms against Jews encouraged by the crown. While the Russian Civil War killed some 7 to 12 million people, it did help end World War I, which killed around 9 to 15 million people. Just some context, folks. War is hell, and by today's standards, in a vacuum, Lenin was a horrible man, but by compared to what came before him, he was a downright nice guy and was hoping to get to the point where they could abolish the death penalty. 
Stalin, on the other hand, was a monster who was only beat in terms of mass murder by Nicholas's grandfather, who massacred Jews and Tatars by the millions. Stalin's legacy is what killed the USSR in the long term. It never became what Lenin hoped, though they did reach a certain level of prosperity, which many old Russians remember fondly under Brezhnev. Lenin also allowed all ethnic groups to farm their own nations and break away from Russia, which many did, including Poland and Finland. But many, such as the Balkans, broke off and formed their own socialist nations and joined the USSR, similar to U.S. states. The first five years of the USSR and their attempts to replicate the American model of democracy is uncanny and not what you were taught about them. They even democratized the military, eliminating ranks and allowing soldiers to vote for their own leaders. They destroyed the old monarchistic courts and laws and replaced them with tribunals and jury of their peers, just like in the U.S. They established an eight-hour workday, and at the time, business could still operate in the USSR in a capitalist free market system. Lenin established unions in every business, so the workers had equal power as shareholders. FDR would attempt this a decade later, not to kill capitalism, but an attempt to save it, in his opinion, being at most a social democrat, and at least a social liberal. Lenin guaranteed secular schools for all children, and nationwide government orphanages, which before orphans had essentially been used as slave labor. They pushed a literacy campaign for all that increased the literacy of the nation by around 5 million people. They established a separation of church and state, just like in the U.S. Organized religion was illegal, but one was allowed to keep their own faith as they chose, and once the freedom of the press was restored, they would be allowed to publish again. Women were given full rights and autonomy from their husbands, with women's councils set up to establish better equality for the sexes. They also nationalized the banks, the thing the Paris Commune failed to do that ended up getting them slaughtered house by house. So many good things were happening. However, some other things occurred that spelled long-term doom to the Republic. To be honest, it's really hard to discover the truth about socialism, communism, and anarchism. Both the capitalists and the communists use propaganda, each biased in favor of their side and very uncharitable to the other side, often not representing them or their arguments as the other side sees it. Pretty much always a straw man. If I have said anything that you can debunk, please let me know, and if it's dramatic enough, I will upload a new video to cover it. So as always, thank you all for watching this as a video or listening to this as a podcast, which I'm sure was completely uncontroversial to anyone, especially to the YouTube monetization team. So if you found this useful, please donate to my Patreon. Just a reminder that I'm Anubis2814 on YouTube, and I have almost 700 videos on my channel that I've made over the past 11 years on religion, science, psychology, and politics. Please go check them out, and if your site has the option, like, rate, review, and comment. A special thanks goes out to Kendall Copperberg, Ogrel, Elias Garcia Guevara, and Joe Taylor for their $10 or more Wapawet level donations. I'm always humbled by the fact that they find my work worth funding and worth driving me forward. Thank you all. Please consider donating to my work if you can, and thank you all for listening.